Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the thing that what I talk about, it sounds foreign. Identity, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what that is. And the crazy thing is, is everybody's already done this. We just did it accidentally. We did it with no plan. We just kind of started surviving through life in that process you were creating. So that's why you hear all the time, what you, you are what you consistently do. We just became this person and didn't think about, man, who am I becoming? And so when you finally step in and take control of who you're becoming, you start finding that that person is the one responsible for everything that you have and don't have. And when you get the control of that and understand how to pull the levers, hit the switches, push the buttons, man, it gives you a different sense of control, of hope, of aspiration, because you can actually see the pathway to what you want to achieve in life. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I'm giddy as all giddy gets today. I got my man, Anthony Trucks, in from California. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. California, yay, yeah. You're on the West Coast, it could be like, like Biggie and Tupac conversation. West Coast, you know what I'm saying? Like all that fun stuff. East What's Coast, that? brother. So, all right, I'm going to steal this from your podcast, man. Why should anybody listen to you? Oh, in the it? most braggadocious way. No, don't braggad- give me the humble stuff. Give, me, right, give me the, you know, okay. wrestling match. Well, you go braggadocious, but you guys, you got to realize that I got a heart of humble. But here's the truth. I do dope stuff. I forcefully try to do the things that other human beings are afraid of doing. It's allowed me to get into the NFL, to get on national television, to write books, to be on stages, sharing stages like guys like Tony Robbins and Brendan Burchard. I've gone to a lot of the places that people aspire to go. I've worked my tail off to get there. And so essentially, like, I'm not going to listen to the person who wants to tell me to bake a cake who's never baked a cake. You should listen to me because I've baked some cakes. And so if you want to find a way to fix your marriage, which I've done, to be a better parent when you sucked as one, I've, I've done that. To lose some weight when you got a little chubby, I've done that. If you want to find a bit of build a business with no business sense and almost going bankrupt, I've done that. If you want to learn how to establish and get rid of good friendships and add good ones, get rid of bad ones and add good ones, like I've done that. So you listen to me because you try to be better in life. And if there's something that I've done in my life that I can help you with, like I'm happy to show you how to do it only because I've gone through the ringer to figure it out myself. 
dig it. And so now we're going to pull it all out and prove that these things that you say are true. And so I read Anthony's book and it had to be like 350 pages, the first one, yeah. right? 333, yeah. See, I, I read every single page, right? And so I get the book and I'm like, wait, why is there this black caprice, like the box, Chevy, yeah. box Chevy on the yeah. cover? And, yeah. you know, I, Carolina, people have donks, right? They're huge cars jacked up with 26, 28, and 30-inch wheels. And I'm like, that's all you do with the box. And so, you know, maybe Ant is in the cars, right? And this was maybe his first car, and maybe they slammed it down in Cali, and he's riding around. But that's not what the Caprice was about. No, like, no, no. It was uh, different. What does a black Caprice mean to you? Well, to me, it means uh, a lot of instability. So the idea of the book was the first one that the, actually came later. To be quite honest, that actual cover was pulled as an idea from the editor. I didn't know what to put on. I was going to put me on the cover. But what happens if you read the book, the first chapter, you understand what the, what the actual you know, Chevy's about. And what it actually is, is it was when I was three years old, I was given to foster care. And my very first memory of life is a moment involving being put into this car and then driven off to the first house that would be the one which, you know, with the very first one wasn't as bad, but it was like the entrance to me into a very statistical negative situation of being in foster care and also like not feeling loved, not feeling accepted, beaten, starved, tortured. And anytime I would have to go from one house to the next, that same car would show up. And so it was interesting. It had that, that in, it kind of like a very, a very simple kind of nuance to it. But then what the book had to be about and what it was talking about essentially is like, it's, it's a life forged by fire. We all have our own cars, our own things that are uncomfortable, our own, you know, totems that, that are tied to something in our life that weren't the best and weren't enjoyable. For me, it just happened to be a black car. And that car is the one that like is seared into my brain because it was back in the day, it was California states. It was like their car. Like nowadays they have like, you know, Fords and different cars. Back then that was the vehicle and they mass produced them. And that's what they shuttled kids around from foster home to foster home in. That's crazy. And so when I was going through the thing that like hurt my heart the most was when the kid made you lick the bottom of the shoes of like all the kids in the neighborhood. Like Mm -hmm. tell that story a little bit just so people can, cause you said torture earlier and most people are like, yeah, right. Torture. No, no real torture. Yeah. Yeah, Real. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, thankfully I was never like, you know, tied up and poked, but I mean, I was, I was held down and beaten by different people, but one of them was the last foster home before my foster home. Now, the family, the woman's name was Doris, and she had a real son. But the real son, it's interesting, back in these, these days, essentially, 1986-ish to like, you know, I don't know, probably the early 2000s, essentially what you have is we're called a paycheck is what we're called. And a paycheck simply means that those families get paid for us being there, but no one's checking up on us. I mean, and to be honest, what's even worse is a lot of us foster kids, we just want to go home. And so what do we do to be able to go home? We try to make up these stories to get these people to, to get rid of us or we try to be really, really bad to be able to get kicked out of the house so that we can go back to our families. That's what we think is the process. In your head, you're like, well, if I'm bad and they don't keep me, there's nowhere else to put me. No, they'll find a way because someone else wants a paycheck. And so what happens is you get in these families that just treat you poorly. And so this little foster kid, I was in a situation with another kid who was a family, like the, their actual son. And he, like, I was like a doll or a play toy. I'm six years old. I believe he had to be like 10, 11, 12, bad little kid. And so what he would do is like all the neighborhood kids would come out, Bay Point, California, which is by Pittsburgh, California. And it's just hood. It was hood back then, man. Like it's just bad people. In fact, that dad, 
the dad in that family at one point, we had been late to school. And so on the way to school at an intersection, because he was angry, he reached over and pushed me out of the car in the middle of an intersection. Like that's the kind of family, that's the dad we'll call it, right? So this kid had took me outside one day. I don't remember what day it was, but like there was somewhere I'd pissed him off or made him mad. So he sat me on the curb and he made the other kids bring their shoes over and he forced me to lick the bottom of all their shoes. And I can remember like all the little kids like rubbing their shoes in the dirt, you know, right next to me and in the rocks and like me crying and him forcing me to do it. He wasn't going to let me go. Like just like genuine torture and there's no adults and the kids are going along with it. So just the feeling of rooting yourself into that moment, it's like you're six years old. You're conscious enough and cognitive enough to know what's going on. And I had been since three years old. I could tell the layout of my house at three. So all this going on, you just have this really depleted human feeling, like a worthless, because not only does his family not love me and I'm not safe here, my own mom don't love me and I can't go there. So it's like, I am stable and comfortable nowhere. Wow. Okay. And so you mentioned earlier being, you know, a statistical, I guess being set up to go to prison and to be nothing in life and just to be a statistic for lack of a better way of characterizing it. But you shifted your identity, right? You harnessed this bad, painful, challenging situation for your benefit. And so maybe we talk a little bit about that shift in high school when you started catching the football over and over again and some of the other stuff that you did. The first one, there's been many. And the first one was that one. The funny thing is they weren't even intentional until I was like early 30s, to be quite honest. So there, I think in life, we initially we go into it and we're just surviving, man. And as we survive, we're adapting to the situation. And that adaptation is in turn creating who we see ourselves to be. So like foster kids, we adapt in a way where we find ways to protect ourselves. And since we're getting, you know, I don't know, I guess negative stuff from the world energy wise, we find a way to just shun the world and we want to. I guess the, the way I look is we want retribution, right? And so what ends up happening is we do things in the world because the world did things to us. We rob, we, you know, we beat people up, we join gangs and do dumb stuff. That's why 75% of inmates in any prison in America are former foster kids like me. It's weird, the number. Three out of every four have spent time in foster care. That is not, that's not a small number. It's weird, but I get it. I understand it. And so for me at 15, I've gone through this journey of like, I finally got to my home home. I will call it my forever home. And I got adopted at 14. But before that, I was like eight years in his family, all white family, very poor. You know, I'm, I'm the one black guy in my entire school and my family. Like, if you look at pictures of me growing up, like I have all my buddies are all blonde haired, blue eyed. Like to this day, man, my best friend I've known for 27 years, a short little bald white police officer, like love him to death. But like, that's my crew. And the dynamics of my life were really weird growing up. And so what ended up happening is I get to the stage where I am now adopted. And then my adoptive mom gets diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I'm one of six in that family. My older brother goes off to the military. So I'm like the oldest in the family, but we're like dysfunctional as hell. Like my mom and dad never really graduated from like the high school. My siblings, like they just, no one took care of school. I can't even tell you if at any point in time when I was in school ever that my mom asked about my grades. Like that's just, that's who we were. Nobody cared about grades. Nobody graduated. Not even my aunts and uncles or their kids did anything school-wise. Like it was just it's weird how our family, just no one cared about it. So that was the role we were playing. And so when I got to high school, that's the first time I'm around people of my culture that look like me. I talk like this (laughs) and I'm not good at sports. And so it's the dynamic of like, this dude is going down the dark path. And I was, man, I was, I wanted to be an athlete, but I sucked when I played the game. I put football helmet on, I was horrible. I could play a recess, but with a helmet on, I was trash. 
So like, I suck. And I'm like, I'm done doing this. And so I'm actually sitting in Mr. Howell's English class in my freshman year of high school. And I'm in the back right corner. And these two girls are talking and they have no idea I'm paying attention. I'm like half asleep, passed out in class, you know, and one girl says something simple. And she says, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And at face value, it's a simple statement. Like it's just, all right. So some girl said some, however, for me, it was the internal dialogue of excuses I was making as to why I was checking out. You're foster kid, man. Not supposed to have much. Your mom didn't love you. These kids tortured you. This, these families took, didn't take care of you. Your mom's sick. They don't even take your school's not important to the family. Like, yeah, that was the, that was a story running. You're just a foster kid. And it unsettled me. Like the statement was one that I was like, dude, I, oh, it just, it really unsettled my, like, I'm going to be a guy that later on in life, like I'm blaming life on that. And I don't know what it was. I'm glad I heard it. I'm glad my mind let it resonate for that day. I remember I went home and I just, I had this weird decision. I stood up in a mirror that I used to like, you know, get ready for in the morning and brush my hair and stuff. And I, I stood up in a mirror, I looked myself in the pupils and it was simple. All I said was, Anthony, you're going to be great. And it sounds like a made up story. Every time I tell them, like, I, I wonder if people really believe it. I'm dead serious, dude. It was the weirdest thing, but that was a statement. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you're going to be great. Like a 15 year old kid. I didn't know about, you know, affirmations, none of that. I'm just like, dude, you can't be that guy. And so I was like, what do I do? And so my thought was, well, I got to find a way to do what it takes to be a great football player. So why don't I go look at what great football players do? And I was a receiver. I was dropping footballs. Though. I'm like, well, maybe if I catch a whole bunch of footballs, how many can I catch? Maybe like 500 a day. Stupidest random number. I could have said 100 would have been just as good. I was like 500. So I was like, all right, every day in my house, at a vaulted ceiling, I'm going to lay on my back and I'm going to catch 500 footballs a day. I got nothing else to do. You know, nobody else is I'm not doing anything as a family. I probably wasn't even doing my damn homework at the time, to be quite honest. Just do it, throwing a football. Then I'm like, what else do I got to do? Well, if I want to catch a football, I got to get open. So how do I get open? I got to learn to run routes. Let's go to Chichibu. Me and Joey Garcia went to Chichibu. He told me football. I'd, I'd play catch and run routes for hours. All right, well, if I want to be able to get open and do this right, like I, I probably got to get like faster and stronger. How do I do that? Let's hit some weights. I do push-ups every day. I would go to the weight room every day. I would just lift and exercise as much as I could nonstop. And so it got to the point where I didn't realize what I was doing, but there's a statement that came from it. And I'll give you the back end of it so you guys understand what took place. I showed up the next year and I was an animal. I was stronger. I was faster. I was meaner. There was this different sense of I had done so much in the dark that no one could take what was mine in the light. It's that simple. Like if it was a play and me or you against each other, I'm going to win. I don't care if you're bigger or faster or stronger. I was not, it was like this weird feisty rabid dogness in me that I, I couldn't shut off anymore. You didn't deserve to beat me. So why would I let you? And if you did beat me, let's go. Hey, let's go again. It was my mistake. It was a mistake. Let's go to work. I got back up. And so what ended up happening was that year I got moved from sucking in freshman year to sophomore year, two games in, I moved to varsity. And later on, I got a college scholarship, yada, yada. But in that moment, what took place is I go back and say, well, what did I do different? People are like, what did you do? What specific drills did you do? How'd you catch the football? That had nothing to do with it. To be honest, I was still about a buck 50 and I probably wasn't that great at catch. What it was, was I had created a guy that had done so much in the process of creating a stronger body, better hands, better skill sets, that I had created a different person inside in the process. The journey was the most important part of that. The process of every, I'd done every day for seven months. I caught a football 500 times a day thousands, 35,000 catches. There's no way I'm going to do that work and not come out here and try to catch that damn football every time. 
it would be a letting myself down. I've run routes days upon days. I've probably run thousands of yards. I've lifted thousands of pounds. You're telling me that in the creation process, I didn't get confidence and self-esteem and a sense of desire, a deservability to own it. That was, there was too much of it at that point. I had an ego. I had that thing that we all need to succeed in a positive way. I developed this different sense of identity. And that was the very first shift of who I was previously to shifting into the person I was at that moment and what that did for my life. Because people like me, how, how do I get a scholarship? I want to have a scholarship. I want to have more money. I want to have a better family. Great. You got to become that person because that person has those things. Whoa. And so all of this from a girl saying you're acting bad. Well, she said you're bad, but basically- well, she was saying was- about herself. It was an eavesdropping. She was saying, well, the reason I'm, she was talking to some other girl. It was just me listening and going, ugh, that's a stupid sounding statement. And I was like, I don't want to sound that way. <laughs> so I was like, how do I not sound that way? Well, I'm just great. Why don't I just become great in spite of all that as opposed to because of all that? Insane. Okay, so you channel all that. You go from- not playing at all as a freshman, moved up to varsity, become a standout player. Yeah. But you said you were a receiver, bro. You I was, played man. linebacker in the NFL. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen. I, didn't, I mean, like, your number was, like, 84 or something crazy. I, like, I, how do these things happen? Stupid me. I'm not stupid. I like this. So I had this weird phobia of odd numbers. I don't like them. And my radio, my car, if you ever put the number on, like, a, if it's on an odd number, I will tick it up or down, one of the two. But, like, I don't put on odd. It's a weird phobia I still to this day kind of have. At one point, I would have to chew my food a certain amount of even time. It was the weirdest, oddest ball thing. But back then, yeah, I was a receiver. I was actually my senior year. I was first team all league wide receiver. And I missed, I think, three games my senior year. I was dominant, dude. Dominant. Now, I'm catching footballs over people's heads, one hand in the end zone. But I was a beast. But when I was looking at going to colleges, I was getting recruited by all the schools you can imagine. I had Everything in the Pac-10 at the time, we had Nebraska, Michigan, all the Hawaii's, the Utah's, all that. I think we had all of them, everything except for like Florida schools and stuff. So I could have gone pretty much anywhere I wanted. And a lot of them, like probably 80% wanted me as a wide receiver. Matter of fact, USC came out of the woodworks late and was like, hey, I want you to come down and play USC, play a receiver. Had I went there, I'm with Reggie Bush, Lendale White, Matt Liner. I got rings on my finger, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like I could have. But I was like, no, I'm going to go to Oregon. Here's why. When I was getting recruited, the guy locally to my home area, his name's Nick Aliotti, he was a defensive coordinator. So whenever I'm sitting as a defensive coordinator, like he's recruiting me and he knows that I want to play linebacker. But he also knows I want to play wide receiver. So I'm like, I want to play wide. I don't want to try him. He goes, oh, no problem. We'll have you come up here. What we'll do is you can try out half of campus wide receiver, other half as a linebacker. And whatever you want to do from there, you get to choose where you want to play. Like, okay, cool. So I get up to Oregon. I didn't hear a soul say a word about wide receiver ever. He's the D coordinator. He wasn't doing nothing. Listen to this. My freshman year, nothing on wide out. No one says anything. And I'm like, I guess I'm not going to do anything. I should have spoke up. Didn't say nothing. Sophomore year, I go out there. I'm playing linebacker. I'm starting my sophomore year. It's a whole different conversation. But then my junior year hits and we're standing in line. I'd been doing pretty well. And the D coordinator walks up like seventh game into the season and he goes, aren't you glad you didn't play wide receiver? <laughs> like you mother, you knew the whole time, didn't you? He knew the whole time, bro. He just didn't say nothing. But yeah, it was what it was. And so when I got to college, I got 84 because I thought I'm probably going to play wide receiver, but also because I don't like odd numbers. And all they had was like 
39 and like 47. I'm like, nah, bro, what else you got? Even 84 done. <laughs> like we're going with 84 and that was it. And so, yes, I was the linebacker in college division one level playing pretty much outside linebacker with the number 84 receiver number on my back. So ridiculous, but you stood out so much more for it. it, right? it worked, and that's man. just part yeah, of it. It's still weird. I'm a weirdo like that, dude. I do weird stuff. Love it. Okay. So you're playing at Oregon and I'm playing on the East coast and I'm like, wait, Oregon's got the new shoes. Like Nike just came in. Like you were there for like the whole transition piece, right? All of, yeah. Build up. Yeah. We had a new locker at the time and actually Phil Knight had a locker in the locker room. And most people, they think that like Nike, what's interesting how it's tied in. He does know stuff. At one point we played against Washington state and like I'd missed a class or something. And I'm in Washington state in the, the visiting locker room in walks this guy that looks like a hobo. And I don't know who he is. Have you ever seen Phil Knight in person? Like, he got Nike shoes, but like, it ain't like he's fresh, dude. He wears jeans, weird little hat, like just a weird dude. He walks in, trucks, why'd you miss class last week? I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> They're like, it's Phil Knight. Like Phil, Phil Knight, like shoe dog, Phil Knight. Yeah, that's Phil Knight right there. Oh, my bad. Like he just knew stuff. He just knew, he like was like, it was weird how much he knew, but he was a good dude. I mean, he took interest in me, but yeah, the way Nike works is we're the testing ground. If you see things go out to the world from Nike, Typically, probably 90% of the time, it's run through the college athletes at Oregon. So like we would have shoes that would be prototypes that would have just swooshes and no design or semi-design, but no swoosh. And we'd have gloves we'd try, new, new shorts, new pants, new cleats. And then what we'd do is we would, the starters would get to wear them. And then after practice, you're sitting there with some little dude in the clipboard like, hey, how'd you like it? Was it tight? What was good? What was bad? Which I take all the feedback in and then sure enough, they go away. Listen to this. At one point, they had Nike gloves that had no strap. Well, we were sitting in a meeting. I think it was like Tim Day and Aaron Gibson. I think they're like, what if we made some gloves that had no strap? Oh, interesting. And then we got prototypes a few months later, and they went out to the world like the next year from a couple of dudes sitting in a room that I was in talking about strapless gloves. That's kind of the the relationship Nike has with, with Oregon, and it's because Phil went to Oregon. That's crazy. But, I mean, it's the power of relationship. But speaking about relationships, so you were married as a college football player. Well, I wasn't. Well, I was engaged. I was engaged and I was a dad as a college football. I was married. I guess you could say I was married at the end. I got married once we, once we left school. So, yeah, when I was in high school, my high school sweetheart and I were in a yearbook as the cutest couple. Like to this day, it's in the yearbook. It's like they, it, called, it was called the Hollywood couple, but it was like the cutest couple. So I'm like, okay, cool. And I was the homecoming king. I got a little basketball up here from when I won that. And she was my date. Like she were together at the time. Very weird senior year. I'm not gonna lie. In hindsight of my life, I was really surprised that I got picked up all that stuff. But anyway, so we go to college and yeah, so we're in there. And at the time I had engaged, I got engaged. I asked her to marry me before we had gone to college because I just knew I wanted to marry her. And she's like, you're crazy. I'm like, I know I'm crazy about you, lady. But no, I was like, it was like crazy. Anyway, so like I gave her this little ring. It was called a Millie. My grandma made fun of the ring one time because it was hella small. Like it wasn't even like a real, it was like a hundred dollar diamond ring. It was like a, they had like a fleck of, of it's probably just like cut up glass that looked like, angel, like looked like a diamond, but you couldn't see anything. So anyways, you got engaged. And then she wanted at one point to come up. Her family was like, cool, you can come up, but just don't get pregnant. Focus on school. She was like a 4.1 GPA in high school. She's why I was eligible to even go to college because she helped me with my grades. My family didn't do all that. It wasn't our focus. And so, yeah, yeah, she came up and like six months in, I'm a dad. Like, well, six months in, we get pregnant. So we end up going through 
this whole journey of like being young parents and I'm a dad. And so we go through the journey of college ups and downs at the end of college, we get married. We'd been engaged the whole time. We damn near were married. Like we were thick as thieves since we were 16. And so, yeah, I went through the whole college experience as a, this, this is a little bit, I guess, behind the scenes. When you go to the university of Oregon, you are there as one of the few African-American men who was in great shape, who uh, they're not prominent out there, but there are a, a lot of people that are, uh, let's call it physically attracted to you that are from the state of Oregon and that it's surrounding area. So you have a lot of opportunity to get in a lot of trouble. And for me, man, I stayed, I, and to this day, I stay very faithful. I think because of the way I grew up and like the connection to a woman, I've never stepped out, never desired to. It's just, it's a weird kind of thing. But yeah, like I went through the whole journey of college where my actual teammates, my freshman year, Dave Moretti, Garrett Graham, Dave Martin, who else not was the there? Whole government. <laughs> not the no. whole government. I know, man. It's all my teammates. They're good dudes. They're all great guys. But I say this because we talk about it now. We actually talk about it. And they, they laugh about it. They said this. They're all like, bro, get rid of her. She's just, she's like your high school girlfriend. You're not going to still be with her. What are you talking Get rid of her. You know, I think even my coach was at one point like, yeah, bro, you don't want to have the old school. So you got some new stuff you can get out here. Like, I don't know. I love this chick. And to this day, man, we had a little hiatus, but I stuck through it, man. All through college, we were thick as thieves. And they were like, damn, you really did it, man. I'm like, yeah, I really did. Like, no one does that. So we've been through a lot, man. But we've been damn near, if we weren't actually married, it's been like we were married the whole time. Since 16. That's crazy. Long time, dog. We had a little three-year hiatus. We got divorced for three years. So tell me about that, right? How does – because, I mean, at this time, like, you're in the NFL. You're just back from the NFL. You're doing the gym thing. You're doing the gym thing, and you're spending all the time at the gym. So you spend some time in the NFL. You come back, you do the gym thing, and then things get a little rocky for your life in general. I think this is the next big shift. So let's talk about the next big shift. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah, we do the college thing. We do the, and we're good in the NFL. NFL was in and of itself its own battle of, you know, did I want to quit? I wanted to quit at some points. Hard to get picked up by teams. That eventually didn't. Then injury took me out, man, tore my shoulder, came home. And then you get to this moment where like I'm home and like it was weird because while I was away, we were still good. Like, you know, because I got money coming back and she's got her thing. She's doing everything's great. But then I think at some point when I came home, I lost a sense of self of who I was and I had this massive crisis. Who is Anthony without football? And when you have that, you stop trying to think about the rest of the stuff outside. You neglect it because you're focused on it's like, how do I get back to me? And this is for anybody, man, anybody that's, that's given themselves to something for a long period of time, and then it's gone. Whether it was happened on accident, like, you know, like life took something from you, or you chose to make adjustments, you chose to go get a new job, or chose to leave the marriage, or chose to start a business, whatever it is, you do wake up one day at some point and go, oh my gosh, I'm not doing that thing that I used to do all the time. And you have the crisis of, of like, well, who am I then? And where I fit? So for me, it was football, and it was very debilitating. And so I tried to seek that in another business. I was like, how about I go build a business and I'm the guy, right? Everybody's going to train me. I'll make a bunch of money. I'm going to be on all my things and TV is be great. I'm going to be the trainer extraordinaire. And then you get into the real world of it and you realize you're an idiot and that's not how it works. So, so I start this journey of suck. 
because I'm neglecting my wife, neglecting my kids. We had two more kids. My wife wanted to have more kids. We tried to have twins. I'm at this gym business, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. She's at home with a four-year-old newborn twins, which is craziness that you would even put someone in that situation, right? But that's what I was doing. I was, I got to do me, got to do me, got to do me. I got to build this business. I'm gonna, and at the same time, I'm not even making money, man. Nine months in, I'm getting served with eviction notices and looking at bankruptcy for the business. So I wasn't successful at business. I wasn't successful at football, at being a husband, at being a parent, or even taking care of my body. I owned a gym, but I was smashing all the Gatorades and chips in the building. It just because it just I needed to keep going, but I wasn't eating healthy. I wasn't even exercising anymore. I was just, oh, I get enough exercise from putting weights on for people. No, you don't. No, I, no, that was stupid of me. So I'm sitting here in this world just kind of going downhill, bro. And next thing I know, I find out like I'm separate from my wife completely. Like I don't even, I, we don't talk much. She damn near hates me. She despises the business. So she won't go down there every day because it's taking me from her, right? She got these kids driving her insane. It just, it was, dude, it was dark, really dark times. And eventually I find my wife, she's stepping out, man. She's having an affair. Breaks me. Because for me, in my head, I'm working really hard to build this gym business for our family's future. In my family's head, they just want a dad. That's it. Like, they just want, they wanted, I want you to be a husband. Can you be a husband and do that? I was like, I got to do this till that takes place. And then, then I'll come over. So it was just stupid of me. So she was heavily neglected. Now, I'm not setting this up to say, that what she did was justified because what she did is horrible. I take nothing from that. Like to this day, she, she realizes like dumbest thing ever, right? It's a horrible thing. There's no justification for it. But there are circumstances that surround the situation that led her to even feel like she needed to make a choice for her own well-being in the first place. And I was part of that. My relationship took two people to get there. And so, yeah, we fell apart, man. And I fell apart. I'm like, dude, this life sucks. Like, I have nothing that makes Anthony Anthony anymore. My family that I grew up wanting is now torn apart. I'm subjecting my kids to this torn apart family. And I was like, dude, I don't want to be here anymore. Like legit at one point, I was like, I'm good. I'm going to leave the planet. Tell my kids what their dad was. I'm gone. And it was a long night. That was a long night, man. Nothing. I didn't take any actions towards taking my life because there's no stores open selling rat poison. But I did drive off one night, man. It was a dark one. And it was like this precipice moment of like, I got to figure this out or I don't know what. And, and honestly, what sucks is I didn't figure it out in that moment. It took me years, years to figure it out, like four or five more years of just the fog, I call it. And the fog is that moment where we're all going through some and we just we're getting up every day to survive. So I ended up getting divorced. You know, I end up, you know, the business is kind of every two weeks. I got to figure out how to pay payroll, pay rent, pay payroll pay rent every two weeks, man. It was just like this nonstop for six years, that gym, until I finally got this big quarter million dollar contract. And then I was like, oh, cool. I can try to do something different. And then I'm done with money because I just hadn't had it for a while. So I'm like, I'm going to spend. So I'm just, dude, up and down. And at the same time, I'm navigating this weird pitfall of a broken heart, feeling guilty as a bad parent. And 2014 rolls around. And it's April of 2014. And, and I, I'm fortunately, I'm in the moment where my mom and my dad and I and my grandma in a room and my mom is taking her final breath on this planet and loses her battle with MS. And at this moment in time where I'm living in a 500 square foot studio apartment, my, my kids are sleeping on the air mattress next to me and I'm divorced and everything relationship wise, I have nothing of stature and, and stability, bro. And that was like, a dark, heavy time because I'm sitting here looking at this woman who helped me not become that statistic. And I'm not even living life right. To be honest, I'm not living life in a way that would be honoring her. 
And so I made a decision. I'm like, another one, like when I was a kid, man, I made another choice. I'm like, look, I promise you, I'm gonna get my life back going. And when I do, I'm gonna find some way to do it for other people in the world, just the way you did for me, unconditional, because I wasn't her blood and nobody else in my blood. But what if I do something great, right? So that was the journey, man. And I wish I could say it fixed it then. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, dude. It took me two more years. Like, yeah, a little over two more years, man. To be quite honest, it was January 1st, 2016. And I woke up and it was a New Year's Day, man. And I had got this, this girl who had come from Russia, had come out from Russia to hang with me. Didn't speak English, just a complete physical thing. And to be quite honest, I'll tell you the truth, man. We had bought like a 20 pack of Magnums and we were down to like four after like three days. Like, bro, it was... It was a really weird, and I say that not to be like, oh, playboy, I, I woke up, I felt the most disgust that I have ever felt with myself that morning. I remember looking in the mirror and it was a different kind of like mirror moment than when I was a kid, dude. It was like, dude, like I'm disgusted. I would never want my daughter legit to ever be with a guy like this. My boys, they can never be like this man because this isn't a good man. I don't even like him. My mom would not be okay. My God for sure isn't okay with this, right? And that was the moment. That was the one. That it wasn't like, you know, I think people need all of a sudden this catalyst, you know, the clouds opened up and a purple cow came out and was raining Skittles. You know, like you need this amazing, crazy moment of all of a sudden thing. That was the day that, you know, the seas parted. But like, I don't think we need that. I think the waiting for that's the dumbest thing. I, I woke up one day and it was just like, I don't like this dude. I don't like it. And then I mean, that that was the catalyst. And that was what put me towards a 10 month, like a 10 month journey of figuring this dude out getting very clear and like I was the common denominator in all the problems I had, no matter what it was, I was present somehow, right? The marriage, the health, the business, the parenting, regardless it was my fault or not, I was present in it. So I had to figure out what was my participation? Where did it take place and what could I do? And so in navigating all those things, man, 10 months later, a lot of forgiveness of self, a lot of forgiveness of others, a lot of like deep soul figuring work and like a lot of really hard conversations, man. Like some of the hardest conversations I'll ever have in my life. I'd have a conversation, like a deep one with the guy my wife had an affair with, like that I have to know, but I needed to. My heart needed to. She didn't get it. He didn't get it for sure. But I got what was going on. But all these different things. And then you get to the point of having like this depth of understanding humanity in a different level. Because when you can understand your humanity, it gives you a chance to understand and have compassion for others. And so I started realizing how things were like, how things came to be. And then fast forward 10 months, man, that marriage came back together under God in a whole different strong way. We're now, I think October will mark five years being back together. Bro, it's the best marriage like that I could even, I don't even know I could make it better. It, maybe if she stopped nagging me on stupid stuff. But outside of that, bro, it's just, it's too damn good, man. I love her. She loves me. It's a different sense of showing up. It's a different sense of trust and support. Like it's dialed, bro. I feel incredibly confident to enjoy going the long haul with this woman. Like, I love it. And she's dope, bro. She gets down and she's incredibly successful what she does as a mom and everything. So like, that's the relationship part of it. But what's crazy is along all those things, here's a nuance that I think would hopefully help people is I have always tried to be, I've always been in business, always been a dad, but the only time I've been successful in those things at a level of any, I guess, anything that matters is when the home has been right. Right, so my home is right. I can show up and do this with you. Like my wife's in the house. She's got done booking a bunch of flights for me to go to Funnel Hacking Live and do all this stuff. She's taking care of all that stuff because I don't, I'll do it, but she'll get mad that I spent too much money on stuff because I don't, and it's weird. But like, she's good at that. But like, that's the thing is like, I wouldn't be able to do what I do right now if we didn't have that depth of anchor. 
And so in fixing my relationship, the journey to fixing that, fix my relationship with me, with my kids, with my God, with my mom, with my clients, with the world. And then it's entered and anchored in the relationship I have with her. And so all this stuff synergistically comes back together. And so that is, and, and will ever, I think it might always be the grandest identity shift I ever made from that guy to this guy. And the difference of what that guy has from what this guy has is night and day. And a lot of people like, here's the thing. I had bought the books for years, man. I'd gone to the seminars for years, but it wasn't until I, I made the shift of the human that any of it came to be useful. But then when it did, man, bro, it turned into wildfire and life's a whole different thing. Right. So, I mean, you go from 500 square foot apartment, sleeping on air mattresses to speaking at Funnel Hacking Live, sharing stages with Brandon Bouchard, Tony Robbins, and I can keep going down the list, right? Like one of my favorite shows is Impact Theory. You're mm-hmm. on there. I'm Billy, yeah. Bradley, like you're in all these places, but I mean, you're telling me less than 10 years ago, you were sleeping on a mattress, like oh, air bro. mattress. Yeah, that was like seven years ago, 2012. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, a twin bed. I was in a twin bed and I had my kids on the air mattress. It was uh, in Brentwood, California, behind the, uh, the Safeway, man. One of the worst part, I had a 9,000-square-foot gym, and I was living behind the house of the girlfriend of one of my trainers. He lived in the younger guy. He lived in the house with his girlfriend, and I lived in the studio apartment behind the house. That's how interesting the dynamic of power was. So at work, I'm the boss, but at home, I live in your backyard. You know what I mean? Like, dude, weird. Very, very weird. It was just, it was a journey, bro. It was a dark time for sure. So, all right, you you said, I'm just letting it sink in. You said the only time that things that worked professionally was when you had home, right? Yeah. But everybody, everybody that I I hear talk says they're doing the stuff outside and you too, right? I'm doing this stuff outside to get home right. There's yeah. something that doesn't feel manly if I'm not bringing home the bacon in the way that I decided maybe as a kid I should. Yeah, to an extent. I don't know if it always fits that way. I think the problem is a lot of people will say that and then they're not realizing what you're trying to bring home to the family isn't what the family wants you to bring home. So the, the family dynamic, my family dynamic, financially, as long as we're like, it's weird. When I was a kid growing up, I'm like, what kind of couple has separate bank accounts? My wife and I, we just happen to have separate bank accounts. We happen to have a joint account too. We don't have it because we don't want to touch that person's money. If, my, if I needed money, my wife would give it to me. Like, no problem if I needed more money. If she needed money, I would give her my card. Like, not even without a question. I wouldn't even think about what you need with it. It's just because of the way that we flow, it allows it to kind of be at ease. I'm not worried about what she's doing or what I'm doing. And that's just how our relationship works. Like, but it keeps us at peace at home. So like, she, if I make dumb buys of like cameras and stuff, she's like, why are you spending 20 grand? She'd probably be like, why are you spending 20 grand in a studio? Well, cause I'm going to build this thing and it's going to be good. She wouldn't see the vision. So as opposed to arguing, I'm like, I do my thing with money, you do your thing with money and we're good. We have a joint account, all bills get paid, right? That keeps a peace in our household. But like, that's one piece of what keeps the peace is we have that center point of we talk, what do you need? She's like, I just need you to be able to take care of the other half of the bills. Cool. All the bills, if I need to, I got you. I t- to be honest, I take care of the majority of our bills as a family, right? The phone bill, the power bill, the water bill, all that kind of stuff. We split the mortgage. But we have properties that bring revenue and that cover that. So most of the time, it's just like, put that in the pocket. of the, You know what I mean? But that works for our family. Now, here's the unique thing is I think when other people look at all the stuff home, if I had to be 
here right now. And I was stressed off of paying the rent, paying the mortgage. Because this, this doesn't bring me money. Me talking doesn't bring me money, right? I'm just having a conversation with a cool guy, right? So if I'm doing this and it ain't bringing me money, guess what happens? I'm stressed in the house. What are you doing out there all day? You ain't making no money. That happens. And so the dynamic is weird. So I wouldn't be able to do this at a level of servant the way I need to if I wasn't bringing revenue in and taking care of that. But there's also a thing with the relationship because that's sound. Because there are things that outside of financial, there's the actual we'll call it the physical needs. What does she need for me physically? Where do I got to show up? I, she grew up in a household where the guy was the guy. I'm ridiculously handy. So it works. You need me to fix something? I will fix Dan or anything in your house. It's odd. I grew up poor to fix things. So I do. Those are dynamics. They work for our back and forth relationship. And so because of that, here's the beautiful piece. She does what makes her happy. And what she needs in a marriage is met. I do what makes me happy. And what we need in the marriage is met. Therefore, we come together in the marriage. We don't have any unmet needs from like a, a, like a need standpoint for us. And we're both coming to the marriage happy. So that's what makes everything centered. The problem is some people go, I'm doing this like I did. I'm doing this for the family. I'm building this for the family. But the marriage needs aren't met. And so when you come in, well, the other person's unhappy because their needs aren't being met. You ain't making the money. You aren't present with your time. Like I'm present with my time. When I'm not here with you, I'm in the house hanging with the family, man. I'm with the kids. I'm doing my thing. I'm dad, bro. Like I, I cut things off. This last weekend, I cut things off. We take eight-hour trips. I'm dad first. And that fulfills the need. So that when I'm not doing that, she'll help me book my flights. You know what I mean? Like the weird little nuances. So you've got to find out in a relationship, what are you doing? Because if that is off, it seeps into your ability to professionally show up. And a lot of people say family first, family first. But when you look at their calendar, or you ask them to make adjustments, the actions and the calendar show differently. And so for me, it's like, if you ask me what I got going on, I will adjust and change anything. We're going to Great America on Thursday, this Thursday. I had four podcasts lined up that I pay somebody for the book launch to actually go out and book me. And I moved all of them because Great America is more important to me than four podcasts that might have some people finding about the book because that's my core humanity. And if I told my wife, hey, love, I can't make it. I got to do four podcasts. She'd let me do it. She'd be like, it's cool. Do your thing. Come later. But that wouldn't be voting properly with my time. And it it would, at the end of the day, it would unsettle. It would be a little bit different because the marriage and the family wouldn't get what it needs. That's why I say a lot of people, man, they say, I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it to set a foundation. Yeah, yeah, I get that. There's some longevity legacy pieces. But you can't, in the family, man, you can't bake the cake and then not like not think about the process. You can't you can't just bake the cake and not think about who's going to eat it. Like at some points in time, you got to like eat the damn cake while it's baking, if that makes sense. I can't wait until this is done and then go enjoy it. Right. For me, it's like, bro, you got to find ways to do it all together. So a lot of my life is built on, although I'm, I'm the person, how I become the person is the magical piece. Like I can tell you a, a multitude of ways to become this guy that has a great business and a great marriage. But like, the way that I've done it has been unique. I still build heavily and quickly. And I got a great team, but you wouldn't know. I mean, I don't think people really grasp the depth of how I operate. They, they see it from the outside, but if people got into the world of what I do, man, my best friend gets anxiety looking at how I run my life. He literally told me, he's like, bro, I get anxiety looking at your schedule. But I've learned to do it so well because I cut things out that don't matter and everything is anchored around the family and building out from that. So the business is a big piece of it but only if it's benefiting the family in the long run. So I'm sure the listeners are like, 
well, what's the business, right? Because we talked about the gym, but you shut the gym down. You, yeah, you yeah. mentioned the contract, and it was like 250 grand. You could no. do something different. But yeah. we haven't spun up. They know you wrote a book. Yeah. They, know, they should know. They're going to know that you have another book coming out. So, yeah, yeah. like, what do you do, man? Like, what, how do you earn money now? Oh, man. I Well, there's two, well, three, one, two, three. Within the business, about four arms and revenue streams. So one is I speak, right? So I go on stages and I talk. I will literally go into an organization, drop in for like the day, and I'll do my thing for an hour and then I'll pop out of there. That's one revenue stream and one thing that I do that not everybody can do. Other part of it is I do corporate trainings, right? So people will say, hey, I love your speech. I want our people to apply this. Great. I have full structure of how we do that. That's the second piece of it. Third piece of it ends up being one where we have coaching programs. The coaching programs are the way that I take all the concepts I've learned and everything I just talked about and I make it very clean and clear to walk through step-by-step step to get the results you desire. So for example, like someone may say, believe in yourself and do this. Well, how? Oh, go out there and do things. That's not how I work. I'm like, all right, you want to go make this shift? Here's step one, step two, step three. We walk specifically through the shift method to get there, right? That's the key piece of it. It's a guidance portion. It's like going to a college and saying, I want to go to, what do you want to do at school? I want to be a doctor. Great. Go take these classes. Same thing. It's just different promise. You're not going to be a doctor and different process. You're not going to go to school. You're going to do it from your computer with videos of me talking to you and you doing work in the background. But the outcome when done properly is life-changing, right? The fourth piece of it for me is more wrapped around the aspect of like relationships. And it's not as much revenue stream as it could be, I guess, but it's more of like people end up having me go and push products and talk about stuff and affiliate with things because I have a good base of, of who I am as a human. And I attract a certain person. They like that. So I get weird. I don't know. People have me like I'm doing a podcast right now. It's a kind of a show with Clubhouse. Clubhouse pays me money every month to go on and do a live show. And I bring guests on and talk. That's all I do. I just have relationships with cool people. So I go and talk to people. I have podcasts that I run. And people sponsor that with, with money and ad stuff or putting people in emails or weird little things. Like the other revenue stream is predicated on the human that I am and what I'm for and what I'm against. And so that's the business of it all, man. It's, it's all of it. Every piece of it is wrapped in how do I get people to make shift happen in their life? Something incredible, something cool, something unexpected. Wow. Okay. So the new book's coming out, right? It is coming out. Identity shift? Identity shift. Upgrade how you operate to elevate your life. It is. It's right here. Look at. Hold on. I got to get it. There it goes. Wait. There you go. I guess Wait, AR- I ordered it. Where's mine? I already ordered it. Where's mine? This is the advanced reader copy. There's only a couple. There's only a few of these out. There's not many. It's not even completely finished. It's all done, but like there's things in here missing. There's some links that are missing in here. This is the very early pieces to get in the hands of my colleagues that needed to like read it. But so they can like Brennan's going to have his quote in the top here when it comes out. The final, I haven't seen the final version of this quote on it yet. There's little stuff in there. But yeah, the book is all this stuff synthesized. So the story we just heard is a story, right? But the thing that nobody knows is what I did in that 10-month window that's created this life I have now from that. How I got an American Ninja Warrior and I've worked with Amazon, T-Mobile, PayPal, all the cool stuff I've done, right? That stuff comes from the identity of me and the person I've created and continue to create over time with a plan and a process. So when you want to have joy, more money, more freedom, more time, whatever it is, like that stuff's it's the, the back end of a person you become. How you become that person, that's the book goes over. It's not just stories. It's legit frameworks, process, step-by-step structure. If you follow it the way you're supposed to, something on the back end comes out, which is usually beautiful and amazing. And so 
that's it, man. The book comes out August 24th. It's actually a tactical playbook of how do you make an identity shift? Not just thinking through concepts, not just stories, but like, here, go do this step one, step two, measure this, try this, do this, apply this, all that fun stuff. And people are listening right now. What's the name of the show? I can't, it's Dream. What is it again? Dream Catchers. Dream Catchers. I knew it was something. So we're going to do is we're going to set up this code where what will happen is if people go to identityshiftbook.com, so it sounds identityshiftbook.com and use the code DC, Dream Catchers. We'll do a DCP, Dream Catchers Podcast. So what happens is you'll buy the book on Amazon, come back with a receipt in this code DCP, and what you'll do is the first 10 people that actually put the code in, I'll send them from my house an autographed copy to your home. So you have two books. And then you'll also get for free, everybody gets this, is you'll get the audio book. So I'll record it. All the audio book's yours. We have the digital copy of the book and you get a full workbook. It's like a $100 workbook that I put together that synthesizes a lot of my coaching down to like I put the best segments out, the best little modules. I popped it into a, a workbook. So you can read the book and go, great, that sounds good. How do I do that? It's in the workbook. And all you do is just go to the identityshiftbook.com, go through the process, use the code DCP, and then it's, you're good to go. Excellent, man. Anything else? Well, I can't end the podcast without asking the question. What's the one thing you want the listeners to take away? Oh, man. To be honest, it's the thing that what I talk about, it sounds foreign. Identity, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what that is. And the crazy thing is, is everybody's already done this. We just did it accidentally. We did it with no plan. We just kind of started surviving through life in that process you were creating. So that's why you hear all the time what you, you are, what you consistently do. We just became this person and didn't think about, man, who am I becoming? And so when you finally step in and take control of who you're becoming, you start finding that that person is the one responsible for everything that you have and don't have. And when you get the control of that and understand how to pull the levers, hit the switches, push the buttons, man, it gives you a different sense of control, of hope, of aspiration, because you can actually see the pathway to what you want to achieve in life. You want a big mansion? Beautiful. You will figure out how to do it once you're going to figure out how to become the person that's a mansion type person. You want a new Bugatti? Cool. You're going to figure out who that person is. And it's not just what do they do? Because if you only focus on what they do, you'll do it till you burn out because you'll still be the same person. But if you figure out what they do and understand the process of doing that and how you do it properly, you'll eventually wake up one day and go, damn, this is who I am now. Yeah, lo and behold, I got a house and a nice car and I got a Bugatti, whatever the hell you want, right? You can, maybe you just want 10 pounds off your body. It's all there, but you got to understand how it's been done. So you got to take away the concept of you've already done this. This is not some foreign thing. You're just going to learn how to do it the proper way. Excellent. And yeah. appreciate you, man. You too, doubt. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.